I know that it is no secret to anyone that this past Thursday was a day of uh, feasting, day of uh, perhaps watching a parade, but mostly it was a day of giving thanks. It was a day that uh, the nation set aside to celebrate Thanksgiving. And as I'll mention in a moment, it was originally centered upon Thanksgiving to God. But as we all know, Thanksgiving today has become nothing more than a prelude to Black Friday. You have Thanksgiving, and then about 6 o'clock, everybody goes out and goes shopping. Or 8 o'clock, or through the night, some people. It's a prelude to Black Friday, which I, I know you understand, and you all I believe you all probably know that the reason it's called Black Friday is that because throughout the entire year, many of the retailers and stores are in the red. When you look at a financial chart, I used to actually do this. You look at financial charts and chartings, when they're in the red, that means they're losing money. You've all heard that term of being in the red. You're losing money. And most stores and retailers are in the red until the Friday after Thanksgiving. So they go from being in the red to being in the black, which means they're profitable again because people are flocking to the stores. That's why they call it Black Friday, because they begin to be profitable again. Of course, that's not how Thanksgiving began in our land, as I said, or what it was meant to be or is meant to be. Thanksgiving is based upon what took place when our nation was settled or founded by the pilgrims. Now, I'm sure that most of you know the story, or I might be uh, assuming too much because of the public school system in our day, which has so tainted the story to make it sound as if if it wasn't for the Indians, the pilgrims wouldn't have made it. And the Indians are the ones who saved them, and Thanksgiving was giving thanks to the Indians. And the Indians brought all the food. Well, that's not true. What actually happened, as you may know, is that the pilgrims were by and large Reformed Christians. Christians who were being persecuted in their native land of England. Because of the Church of England, they wouldn't allow the preaching that we would even do in this place. You had to go by their calendar, their way, their false doctrine. The Puritans didn't want that. So they first fled from England to Holland. And when in Holland... Uh, group of about 80 decided to set sail for the new world to seek religious freedom, the freedom to worship God in the way that the Bible prescribes. That's what they wanted to do. Now, following a rather rough start, they kind of had a bad winter, and about half of the original pilgrims died in that first winter. But then they began to plant crops, to raise some game, hunt some game, 
and cried out to God, and God blessed them with an abundance. Yes, the Indians did show them corn. And that was part of the part of the blessing of God that they were able to grow corn. But it was God who blessed their efforts to the extent that they had so much bounty and so much abundance of food and game and crops that they held a big feast of thanksgiving and invited the Native Americans to join them. The Native Americans came and joined them in this first Thanksgiving where they were then able to evangelize because these were Christians. These were Christian men and women who had come to worship God. And there at that first day, the first feast of Thanksgiving, it was not Thanksgiving to the Indians, it was Thanksgiving to God for preserving them, for helping them, for providing for them, thanking God for all that He had done, and bringing the gospel to the Native Americans. That's the first Thanksgiving. Christians giving thanks to God. And that's what Thanksgiving should be to us. Because of all people in the world, We are the ones who ought to know exactly who we're giving thanks to. Giving thanks to God. Where has our nation gone wrong in this? Where has our nation turned aside from giving thanks to God? Where has our nation, who was once so blessed by God, become so greedy for things and desirous to kick God out. And yet this is the turn that we have seen. However, I pray that you and I and the people of God would remain thankful to Him. I thank God every day. I thank God for my wife. I thank God for my children, my family, my children, my daughter-in-law, my son-in-law, my grandchildren. I thank God for these wonderful blessings. Do you thank God for your family? I thank God for a home. I thank God for a a blessing of a home that I never in my wildest dreams would ever thought that I would have. And yet God has provided and sustained. I thank God for a car. I thank God for all His blessings, for the food that we're able to eat. We did have a great Thanksgiving meal. Do you thank God for these things? Do you thank God for your home? for your car, for your jobs, for His provision to you. Thank God for all that He has given and all that He has done. And yet, what is the greatest thing that we as Christians ought to be thankful for? It's not a house. It's not a job or a car. 
and it isn't even family, the greatest, the pinnacle of all that we are to be thankful for is our salvation in Christ and our Savior Himself, Jesus. So now today what I want us to do is to consider just why it is we ought to be so thankful for our salvation. Think with me. This comes in a series on the wrath of God. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. After having seen from God's Word what we called the reality of wrath, that indeed the Bible does teach that, even Jesus... We saw then the reason for wrath, that it glorifies God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Last week we began to consider the response to wrath, our response. How does the doctrine of the wrath of God affect you? Are you afraid of it? Are you embarrassed by it? Or do you embrace it as His justice and that it is who He is as God? So we began this uh, wrapping up this series by looking at three things to consider from this study that should bring the truth of God's Word regarding the wrath of God real meaning to our lives. And we saw last Lord's Day, the first one, that it should increase our eagerness to evangelize. It should increase our eagerness to evangelize. The way Jesus evangelized, as we saw last Lord's Day, was that He taught on the wrath of God and then invited men to come. We saw that in Matthew chapter 11. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! Judgment is coming! Then come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. So this is the way that our Lord Jesus taught. We saw from Luke 16 that He warned men of the wrath to come clearly, definitively, descriptively, as He taught about Lazarus and the rich man, and how the rich man went to eternal punishment. Jesus taught this. And so he said, from that, look at the Scriptures. Use the Word of God. And then we wound up seeing that preachers used to preach on sin, warn men to flee from the wrath of God. But today... Men don't even seem to hear about the judgment of God. And yet, when you truly understand the wrath of God and the judgment of God, you ought to want to plead with your children, with your families, with your loved ones to come to Christ so that they will not go to hell and the wrath of God for eternity. We plead with men to flee the wrath and come to Jesus. Today we pick up with the second point under the response to wrath. And that would be, as I mentioned last week, perhaps 
a little bit higher, a little bit greater in our consideration of why we would have this response to his wrath, what that would be. And the second one is to increase the magnitude of our gratitude. To increase the magnitude of our gratitude for salvation, for saving us. And I had hoped to get through this all today, but I just kept finding more and more on this aspect, and so we'll do this in two weeks and finish up with the final one two weeks or three weeks from today. But today we look on to increasing the magnitude of our gratitude. We're here in Luke chapter 12. And what I'd like for you to do is to look back to verse 16. As Jesus gives a parable to those who were before him. And he says, The land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones or larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. And does that not sound like our society today? And here's the picture that Jesus is painting. He's painting the picture of one who has it all, all the world's goods. And notice that it comes from God. For it says, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? But verse 16 says, The land of a certain man was very productive. God blessed him. God blessed him with an abundance. God caused him to have crops that produced much so that he had so much his barns couldn't hold it all. I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my current barns and build even bigger ones and I'll have everything I need for years and years to come. Here's a guy who had it all and then some. All of the things that he could possibly need. So now he can, in essence, retire. He didn't have to care about anything. God gave him everything, so now he has no cares, no worries. He can move to Florida. I mean, do you realize that that is the mentality of a lot of people who move to Florida? They've got it all. Now I can go to Florida and just relax. And unfortunately, with so many, what we find here in particular is that they relax to the point that they don't even want to go to church anymore. One of the curses of Florida is the fact that it is the land of leisure, including leisure above God. 
Leisure becomes more important than God. In fact, in many cases, leisure becomes their God. And they want to just relax. They want to take it easy. And they don't even care to go to church anymore. This was the thing with this guy's heart. It is apparent that he didn't care about God. He gave no thought to God. He gave no thanks to God. He did not glorify God for what he had been given. You may remember Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 4. Remember that passage where he went out and became like an animal living under the trees and out with the dew settling upon him and he looked like a, a werewolf or something? That's what some people say it was. But here is the reason that that happened. You may recall, he's standing out on his deck and he looks over the great city of Babylon and he says, Oh, the great city that I have built, that I have accomplished all this, and just like that, he's out living like an animal. God judged him because he did not give glory to God. Just real quick, look in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We'll come right back here to Luke, but look at Acts chapter 12. I always really like this passage. It shows what God does or might do. And I can't help but think of some of the politicians we have today and maybe secretly wish this would happen. Verse 21. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, The voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. The voice of a God and not a man. You remember that not long before this, God was on trial before Pilate, and they yelled out, Crucify him. Here they take a mere man, and they say, The voice of a God, and not a man. And immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. He did not give God the glory. And so God struck this man down. You know what, what we're saying? If the people are going, the voice of a God and not, and he's going, no, no, I'm not God. I'm not a God. God is God. He didn't do that. He took their worship, their adoration, their words, and God struck him dead. Now back to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Here we have a man pictured by our Lord Jesus who is blessed beyond all measure, and he does not give glory to God. God had been so gracious to him, but he did not give him the glory. And I want to just stop here to make application and make sure we don't miss it. This is what's happening in our day. God has blessed this land, blessed this nation, caused us to prosper beyond so many other countries throughout the world. What is America? 230-something years old? 37? 38? Maybe? 
230-something years old. Look at all that God has blessed us with. Look at how far we have come so fast. In just over a hundred years or less, man's making cars, man's making planes, radios, televisions. All of these things, most of these things, many of these things, originate and come from America. Certainly in opulence, it comes from America. I mean, you look at some of these other countries, and they don't even have paved roads. But look at America. Superhighways and roads everywhere. All kinds of bridges, all kinds of stores, all kinds of malls, everything you can imagine. All this stuff in just 200 years. And other countries that have been around a thousand and thousands of years have nothing. They live in caves and huts. God has blessed our country. God did it! It's not the ingenuity of man. And yet this is what we're having today. We're having our country turned from those first pilgrims and first Christians who gave thanks to God to a country that now gives thanks to ourselves. We have done this. Look at this great America that we have created. Look at all these blessings that we have manufactured and brought to ourselves. And America is failing to give glory to God. And they are working as hard as they can, in fact, to kick God out of America. Here's the problem. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? God, our Lord Jesus, paints the picture of this man who has all this stuff, all this abundance of stuff, and he does not give glory to God. And God says, judgment. Judgment. And then who's going to have all that you've accumulated? And I can't help but think about America and think that maybe China? <laughs> China's going to have all we've accumulated? But God looks at this man and says, this day your soul will be required of you. In other words, people, you will have to answer to God. Men will have to answer to God. Men will have to give an account of this stewardship of what God has given us. But the undeniable point that Jesus is making is that this man is headed for judgment because he didn't give glory to God. All he cared about was his stuff. Now make no mistake, there's nothing wrong with God blessing you with stuff. Everyone here today, for the most part, 
has been greatly blessed by God. We have so much more than even what would have been considered a rich man in Jesus' day. We have all these things. Toys. Cars for our kids. All this stuff. There's nothing wrong with God blessing you. God blessed Abraham. God blessed Moses. God blessed His men in in the Scriptures. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes in is when you don't give thanks and glory to God for it. Because that is indicative of a heart that is not right with God. I know men that are extremely wealthy. And they're extremely humble and thankful to God for all they have. It's a heart problem with this guy. God gave him all this stuff, and he didn't care. So, he was in danger of God's judgment. And here's the question. Do you have gratitude for all that God has given you? Gratitude to God. Gratitude for all that you have. The one who knows God will be grateful for all that God has given. But now especially notice this. It has to do with eternity. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We're speaking about gratitude for God, for all that He has given. We're going to go on to see that this is especially true in light of salvation. Because if your heart is not right with God, you will not give gratitude to God for what you have, nor will you give gratitude to God for what you have in His Son, Jesus Christ. This parable is in light of eternal judgment. Are you grateful to God for your salvation? Look with me, if you would, please, to Matthew chapter 16. And listen to what Jesus says here. This kind of brings that material stuff in line with the spiritual stuff, the supernatural stuff, the eternal stuff. Jesus says to His disciples in verse 24, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Of all the possessions that you may have, all of the things that we mentioned a little while ago, the house, the car, the boat, the bank account, whatever it may be, do you think of a cross For Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. 
take up the burden of following Jesus. That which would be more important than anything else. For he goes on to say, For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What do you have that is more important than the cross? The cross of Christ. And bearing the cross of Christ in our lives is living for Him above and beyond the world. And we are those who ought to be characterized by humility, holiness, godliness, selflessness, no matter how much God has blessed us with. The evidence that your soul is right is that your pocketbook is right. That your walk before Him is right. Because none of these things matter because what will they have to do with anything when you stand before God in judgment? For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This is speaking about judgment day. When you stand before God, And he says, as we have seen in this series, the most horrible things a person can hear. Depart from me. What will your money do for you then? Or your house or your car or your boat or whatever. You may have gained everything in the world. But what good is it on judgment day? If you don't know God. And you know, I, you know what it's like here in America. You know the greed and the avarice. These are the things that characterize our society. Kids don't want more stuff. Be thankful for what you get, for what your mom and dad are able to give you. But seek first His kingdom. And His righteousness. And these things will be added unto you. Because those things will never do you any good when you stand before God on Judgment Day. And so, we have gratitude for all that God has given us, but especially gratitude for our Savior, Jesus Christ. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The Son of Man is going to come in glory, the glory of his Father with his angels, and will then recompense every man according to his deeds. 
I'm not sure whether you realize it, but that's been on the front of your bulletin for months. Sort of the foundational passage for this entire series. The Son of Man is going to come in glory. And He is going to recompense every man according to his deeds. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He's talking about eternity, folks. Glory. Are you thankful for your salvation? And are the things of this world, they pale in insignificance in comparison? If you would look at Philippians chapter 3 before we move on. Philippians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul sums some things up right here in these verses, but we'll begin from verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks to God. Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself may have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised on the eighth day, the nation of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal of persecutor of the church, as to righteousness which is in the law found blameless. So he had all these credentials. All this stuff which men could look at and say, listen to these accolades. This guy is a doctor. We esteem him highly. All this stuff. But what does he say? Verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Where's the priority? Where's the priority in this nation, a nation so blessed of God? They count Christ as rubbish to gain the world. We are to be the opposite. We count the goods of the world as rubbish in light of our salvation in Christ. He is the pinnacle. He is the peak. He is the most important thing. Our salvation in Christ is what we greatly rejoice in what we ought to greatly rejoice over more than anything else. Because when we consider that some will stand there on that day and hear Him say, Depart from Me! And know that they will be departing into eternal hell 
to incur the wrath of God for all eternity and you will be standing there and he will say to you, welcome into my kingdom, thou good and faithful servant. What could be more important than that? That ought to increase the magnitude of gratitude when we consider that we will not be cast into hell on the day of judgment. And so in light of that, I count everything else as loss. I'm glad to have a house. I'm glad to have a car. I'm especially glad to have a wife and children that I love and that love me. I'm I'm extremely blessed to have them. But in light of eternity, there's nothing greater than Christ. There's nothing more valuable than Christ. And so as Paul says, I count them all but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. There are so many points of application that can be taken to this in our lives. You know, I can't help but read these passages and think upon these things and even think of some people's attitudes towards church. You know, some people want all the comfort all the stuff, all the enjoyment, all the entertainment. And that's what's important. Rather than what should be the most important, His Word, His truth. And He who comes from this, who we learn from this, we know from His Word, We study the Scriptures and see Christ in His glory. This ought to be that which is more important than a big building or what you can get for your children or entertainment or feel-goodness. What do you count as the most important? And I can't help but think that I don't want to be standing there on Judgment Day. I don't want to be standing there on Judgment Day going, well, well, look, God, look. Didn't we do all this religious stuff? We sang all these choruses all the time. We did all this stuff. Isn't that all right? Depart from me. I never knew you. Because things were more important to you than me. Our gratitude is founded, rooted in Christ. He is the one that we are to be most thankful for. My people, here's the point. Thanksgiving has just been, we just celebrated it even more than the things we had to eat, even more than the things that God has given. 
We're thankful for Jesus. All else pales into insignificance in comparison with Christ. Paul calls it rubbish in comparison to Christ. Our thanks more than anything else is for our Savior, for Jesus and all that He has done. Let's pray.